morning, Community Life Church. My name is Addie Middleton, and I'm the CARES pastor here, and we are so grateful you are here with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Whether you're joining us here in the family room or joining us online, we have been praying for you and expecting you, and we're so grateful you are here. Um, today, we will be receiving communion, so if you're joining us online, be sure to grab some elements so you can participate with us later on in the service. And um, I would now ask that everybody stand, if you are able, as we align our hearts, as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father God, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for this beautiful day and that we can gather as a community of believers. And we just pray that you point our hearts towards you, Father God, as, as we pray a special blessing over Pastor Scott today as he delivers the message. And we just ask that you um, come into this place as we join our hearts in worship. And we thank you for your son, and it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen. Good morning. So glad that you're here with us today. Uh, words are going to be up on the screen, so let's just worship Jesus. Amen. Let's come and bring our very best this morning. Now the darkness fades into new beginnings as we lift our eyes to hope beyond. Waits with an expectation to declare the reign of the Lord our God. We will not be moved when the earth gives way, for the risen one is overcome. And for every fear, there's an empty.
overcomer. Thank you, Jesus, for being our overcomer this morning. The victory is through Christ this morning. Let's just continue to press in.
just take a moment this morning to pause and just acknowledge a, a heart of gratitude today for all that you've done for us. So many things in the world that um, <laughs> tends to spiral out, including ourselves when challenges come. But Lord, you are still in control regardless of the things that happen around us. And so we just rest uh, and trust in you instead of focusing on all the negative and all those things that um, tend to, to attack us and get us down. Lord, we just focus on the so many blessings that you have given us and the things that we fail to acknowledge and recognize every single day. Not coming to you this morning and asking for things, but Lord, just truly just praising you for who you are. We just continue to worship you this morning. Be in this place, God. Be our hope and our peace. We lift up the name of Jesus because you are the way, Lord. You are our hope and peace today. In Jesus' name. the 
facing today, whether it's relationships, whether it's stress, insecurities, sickness, or even, God, something internal like our own sin, our own guilt, our own shame and habits and hangups, Lord, that whatever it is, whatever challenge is before us today, that we can sing the name of Jesus over that and trust that you have victory for us. That victory is not something far off that is to come one day, but that you have already won those battles, God. No matter what the outcome may be, we can trust that you are going to bring glory to your son's name. God, I pray that we would build our foundation on exactly that, bringing glory to the name of Jesus so that in all things we can have victory. We love you, God. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Before you guys are seated, if you'll turn, greet the people around you, shake a hand, learn a name. If uh, you're joining us online, we are so glad you're here. We hope uh, that, uh, that you'll stay with us for just a hair longer until we come back.
morning. I hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Verano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor to have you here in our family room. Um, I say this every single week, but we really, it means the world to us that you would choose to be here on a Sunday. A lot of places you could be, but thank you for joining us, whether you're here in person or joining us online. At Community Life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus, because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And our hope is that when you discover that source of life, that you will share it with every single person that you encounter. And if there's anything we can do to stand alongside you in this crazy journey, um, we would love to be able to do that. So um, the, the little bumper video that you just saw kind of gives you some instructions. It doesn't kind of. It tells you about our church app. And you're going to see us start to lean a little bit more on that in the future as we try to get information out. But one of the first ways we're going to do that is starting, I think next week, it could be the week after that, we're going to, to lean into Advent Angels. So every time this year, we allow you to adopt someone that you're going to help provide Christmas for. And I think we're going to use the app to be able to do that. So if you want to go ahead and try and download the app, you can do that. If technology confuses you like it confuses me, um, we have somebody out in the lobby that can help you today or just find someone under the age of 20. And they'll figure it all out for you, and they'll, they'll show you how to get everything connected. Uh, so we are, today is the last day to connect, uh, collect names for our Thanksgiving food drive. So if you or a family that you know is, is in desperate need, maybe this Thanksgiving, and you'd like for us to be able to provide that Thanksgiving meal for you, we'd love to have your name or the name of a family, and you can either stop by the front desk on the way out. Or send us an email to info at clc.life. Just give us the name, a way to contact you, and we'll reach back out to you. Make sure that um, we have all your information, how many people that you'll have for Thanksgiving uh, dinner, and then we'll, we'll put all that together. And then also, maybe you're blessed this time of year, and you want to be a part of helping to provide that. Um, we'd love to go ahead and get all that food back in today and tomorrow, beginning of this week. We're going to start putting those baskets together, and I believe there are some lists out in the lobby. You can take one of those with you so you'll know sort of what to bring back. And then last but not least, one of the cool announcements that we've got for today is that the Angel of Hope has now been set up and is in the Butterfly Garden. So it's really cool, and it looks so awesome. Yeah. I encourage you to go by and check it out. Um, maybe on your way out today, you can see it when you're driving around the corner. You'll see it right there on the side. It is just gorgeous. On November 15th, which is not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday, we're going to have a service of dedication at about 5.30. So if you want to be here for that, we'd love, we're just going to have just, a, it's not going to be super long. It's going to be just a time out there. We'll say a prayer, dedicate that statue, and then um, we're going to come inside, and at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a night to worship. But if you don't know what the Angel of Hope statue is, it's a statue that, that really brings together people who have lost children of all ages and gives us kind of a, a touchstone and a point of connection um, where we can pray and, um, and really just spend time together. And that service comes up in early December. So, uh, so be praying for those families and maybe you are connected to those families and we look forward to that service. But on November 15th, we're going to gather and we're going to dedicate that. And, and so thank you for all of you that's been helping support that. Okay. So today we will close out our series in Galatians, and I was thinking as, um, as I was kind of preaching through the services, and you know, you do this introduction a thousand times, or I do, and, I, I, and, so, and here we are at the very end, and I thought, you know what, I've kind of left a piece of this out. Maybe I didn't, I've said it, but if you're new to the faith and you don't understand anything about the Bible, you may not know that this, this thing that's been written to the Galatians, it's a letter. In fact, a lot of what we have in the New Testament are letters that have been written to churches where different scenarios are unfolding. 
And it's written by a guy, and his name is Paul. He's one of the bigs of the faith. He was a, an apostle or a church planter, if you will. And he started some churches, and things started to go south. And so he sent them a letter. That's what he did. So if, you, you, if you're a believer and you've been studying the Bible, you know what Galatians is. If you're not, maybe you're new today, you don't know anything about the faith, we're going to be talking about a letter that was written back uh, maybe in 40 or 50 A.D., addressed to a church to try and solve some of the issues that they're walking through. So we're literally going through and studying a letter that someone wrote to another group of people and trying to pull out the truth that was located in there. So some of the, some of the basic facts that go around this letter to the, the church in Galatia, it's, we believe it's written by the Apostle Paul. And why do we believe that? Because he signed it. So not all of the letters are signed, but this one he actually signed. And its writing fits his normal theology and how he writes. And so we have no reason to believe that it would be anything different. We believe it's one of his first letters that he had ever written because it has very basic but very honest, straightforward information. The theology that he gives us, I would tell you, is 101 Christianity. So if you've not heard any of these messages and you're starting today, just in the recap and how we close the series out, you're going to learn and hear what it means to be a believer in Jesus, what happens in your life, and what you do going forward. So all of those things come together in this, in this letter to the Galatian church. Believed he wrote it 15 to 20 years after Jesus had died, was buried, and resurrected. So somewhere in the late 40s, early 50s, um, written to a region of churches. So we're going to put up a map on the screen behind us, and this will tell you where these churches were located. So here down in this bottom center part of the screen is Israel, which seems to be ground zero for everything that's happening on the map today. Um, right here on the bottom is the Dead Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. Jerusalem is located right here in this mountain range. And, um, and Paul, he encountered Jesus. Um, and when he did that, it changed his life forever became a believer in Jesus. And so Paul, upon encountering Jesus, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 9, was knocked off of his horse, this um, spiritual experience that he had. Well, then he had to go take time to figure out what he just experienced. He was Jewish, but now he had to learn about this Jesus guy and how does all that theology come together. And so for many years, he goes up and he lives in this region here while he works out the theology. Three years, 14 years, put them all together, and you discover that there was a large amount of time where he spent developing what it was that he believed. And then after that, he goes back down to Jerusalem, and he meets with the other bigs of the faith, and you may know their names, Peter, James, and John, to tell them what he figured out, the theology that God revealed to him. Because he wanted to go share this good news with the rest of the world, and he wanted to make sure he wasn't going to do it and be wrong. So he goes back, he shares with them, and they said, yeah, sure, go do that. So he then goes out, and he spends time in this region of Galatia right here. And then ultimately, he launches out on these missionary journeys. And the arrows you see on the screen are the first part of his, his, his first missionary journey, where he goes over here to Cyprus, and then ultimately, he bounces up here, and he rolls through this area called Galatia. And while he's there, he starts churches. And he, he births these churches sets them up with the theology, and then he moves on to another church. And the basic theology that he taught them was that you can be justified or you can be deemed righteous to God by believing in Jesus or by having faith in Jesus, period. Nothing else was required. And so he established these churches. He told them about the good news of Jesus and that they needed to believe in Jesus in order to be in right standing with God. Then he would go start another church. Well, behind Paul came these 
uh, people which over the years have been deemed, um, not deemed, but um, named or labeled Judaizers. They were Jewish people who also believed in Jesus, but they believed that not only was it Jesus that you believed in, but then you also had to be converted to Judaism. So they would come into the churches after Paul and they'd say, Paul is great. He connected you to Jesus, but now we need you to convert to Judaism. And there are all these other rules and regulations that you have to do. And, and Paul says, no, absolutely not. And so when he heard that it was happening, he fired off a letter because he needs to send this letter to let them know what's going on, that you do not have to add anything to the work of Jesus. Jesus is enough. Not, not Jesus plus the law, only Jesus. And so what we've done is we've, this will be the third week in our teaching. In weeks one, or week one, we looked at chapters one and two. And what he does is he builds the basis for his theology by, by telling you how he received it. And then he actually gives us a theology, which we've already talked about, justification or salvation by faith alone, not by works. You can't be a good person and be justified and be righteous before God. It takes belief in Jesus. And then he ends chapter two with this understanding of what happens when you become a believer. And he says, um, he says, my old life has passed away. It's been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God. So going forward, even the decisions that we make are made by faith. That's how we live going forward. So this life is no longer Scott. Scott has been crucified on the cross. This is Christ. And now I got to get Scott out of the way so that when you see me, you see Christ. So that's that understanding of transformation of moving forward. If you're a faithful believer then transformation is a part of your life. That was the end of chapters one and two. When you move into chapters three and four, now he's going to prove his theology. And he uses scripture to do that. So where he starts is by connecting us to the story of Abraham. And he tells the story of Abraham found in Genesis where Abraham believed God, God spoke a promise over him. Abraham believed God and scripture says it was credited to him as righteousness. So what Paul says is long before the law ever showed up, Abraham experienced righteousness and was deemed by God to be righteous. And because God offered Abraham a promise to bless his descendants through his seed or through Jesus, then when we choose to believe in God and we have faith in God, then we too are children of God or we are connected through that promise that was given to Abraham. So you have this telling of, of the Old Testament th uh, through the scripture here to prove his basis of, of we find the scripture through faith or we find our our, um, our justification through faith. But then he has to explain the law, and he does it this way. And I, I feel like you guys are all with me, um, or not. doesn't matter. Where does the law come in, right? If, if we're justified through this, why even have the law? And he, he has a really interesting way of explaining the law. He says the law was given to Moses as a disciplinarian to show us where we've done wrong. And he says, but, the, but the, the law has no power to justify us. You can't live according to the law because the law will only tell you what you've done wrong. And so from the time the law was, was given to us, the 613 laws that we find in the Old Testament, they only had the, the power to reveal to us where we were sinful. And so we were held captive by this discipl disciplinarian, this law, until God was revealed in Christ. And when Jesus came and he showed up, 
God saw the brokenness, saw that we were held captive to this, and he made a way for us by offering his son through his death, burial, resurrection. And when we choose that God moved on our behalf and we receive that in our lives, we substitute his life for ours and we receive his righteousness and we are no longer subject to the law of sin and death. We now become children of God and heirs of God's kingdom. And then it's when you understand the process of what it means to be born again. And now when we pick up in chapters 5 and 6, we're going to close this letter out by looking at what does it mean to go forward. Now I need to tell you, um, these two chapters, it's, it's been interesting in the last two services. They're so, I think, they're so basic and straightforward and easy that it, the message can almost get boring. But here's what I know. You guys got a whole extra hour to sleep in, right? So you could be bored, but if you pass out, I'll wake you up at some point, right? But it, it, it can kind of be boring. But here's the thing. It is so simple to understand that my prayer is that when you walk out of here, you will have a, just a nugget of truth for your life that you can hold on to. Some of those basic fundamental cores of the faith. So Galatians chapter 5. And um, we're just going to go ahead and read along. Remember, Paul was frustrated. He was angry. He's mad that the Judaizers are trying to make the church go through all of the, the rituals of, of being a, a Jewish believer, which means circumcision and all of that. So verses 1 through 5 are him barking again about circumcision. He's so mad about what they've taught this church and how they've misled them. And so I want to read for you verse 6 because he kind of puts it all into context and tells us how to activate our faith. Verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Now, the word working in the Greek is actually a phrase, and the phrase means to be made effective. And so a better way to hear this would be the only thing that counts is faith made effective through love. And so you may be wondering today, how do I activate my faith? Scott, I'm a believer. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do in life. If you want to activate your faith, put your faith in action by choosing to love someone. Sometimes someone that's not even lovable. You choose to love someone that's not lovable, it will activate your faith. I promise. It'll put you right into gear and you will feel like you are living out the promises that God has given you. But here's the truth. It really is the marker of what God did for us. That, that God reached out to us, we were lost, and he loved us even when we weren't lovable, and we were able to experience that faith. So when you want to put your faith in action, do exactly that. Choose to love someone. Verses 7 down through 12, once again, he barks about circumcision. He's so mad that someone would mislead them, and so he just carries on in that rant. And then ultimately, and I'm not trying to dismiss what he had to say, it's all very important. But he's still frustrated about it. We get to verses 13 through 15. Here we go. It says, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence or, or to feed your flesh, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another." So if we want to dive back in and look at this, he starts off with this notion of you are called to be free. Now, I don't know if you remember, but Jesus, when he first moves into his earthly ministry, he comes out of the wilderness being tempted and tested and all of those things. He goes back to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and they're about to read the scroll. It's Isaiah 61. And they hand it to Jesus as a rabbi and he, he, and he, he goes in and he reads it. 
And if you remember Isaiah 61, he says, I've come to, to proclaim the good news um, to the poor and to set the captives free and to proclaim um, recovery of sight for the blind. And he, he reads all of Isaiah 61 and then he sits down and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? And what you need to know is that Jesus' message was to bring freedom to those who were oppressed. And so what Paul is saying is, you were called to freedom. The very act of Jesus walking this earth was that God wanted us to be free from this life of sin and death. And so he goes on to say, um, you are called to be free, to be free or uh, freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Why would you be set free now only to go in and do whatever you want and live according to the sinful nature and now subject yourself once again to this brokenness and this hurt of what that sinful nature is all about? No, Jesus came to set you free. Walk away from that stuff. Get away from it. And here's, it's interesting how he, he finishes out this sentence. He says, but through love become slaves to one another. So he says, you're free to become a slave to one another. But interesting, that's how he activates your faith. So you've been set free. He says, but through love become slaves to one another. That word slave is cold. Think about serving one another. If once again you want to be free, take what God has done in your life and give it away to someone else. Serve someone else. It is the very act of what God did for us. And then he goes on to say, for the whole law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we were just talking about. And then I love 15 because he keeps it honest. He says, if however you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Hey guys, listen, you can do whatever you want. If you choose to live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You can live this way, or, but if you choose to bite and devour one another, it'll consume you. And so he's just being honest with them, letting them know. Very basic teaching. Now we move into 16 through 18. And this is where he, he lays out this daily battle of what we walk through as believers, what we're going to face. He says, live by the spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. So are you ready for something tough to understand? That the law of the flesh is opposed to the spirit, and the spirit is opposed to the flesh. So if you do things that are in keeping with the Spirit, they're going to be opposed to the flesh. And if you do things that are in keeping with the flesh, they're going to be opposed to the Spirit. Got it? Okay, I mean, it's not hard. I think you guys can all get it. That, that's, he's laying that out. That's going to be the daily battle. Every morning when you wake up, you've got a decision. Am I going to live according to the flesh? Am I going to live according to the Spirit? These two are opposed to each other. They don't run together in the same stream. You need to figure out how to choose one over the other, but live that life according to the Spirit or live the life according to the flesh. And now he's going to further define what those look like. Verse 19, oh, actually, I'll, I'll, verse 18, he said, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law. You read that and you're like, well, wait a minute. That means we no longer have to worry about this? Here's the deal. If the revealing of the law was to try and give us parameters for understanding God, then if we live by the Spirit, there's no way that we're going to do anything that goes against the law. So then you are no longer subject to the law because if you live by the Spirit, you're not going to break the law. That makes sense? So it kind of gives you that truth and that awareness. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Now one of the things I want you to consider when you read this, works of the flesh, 
Think about going to a job, a manufacturing job. When you do work, you are manufacturing, you are creating something. Paul wants you to understand that the works of the flesh, we manufacture, we do ourselves. He said they're obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I like how he says, and things like these. That that means this is not an exhaustive list. There's a lot of other things that fall into this category, but just know these are some of the ones that I wanted to list for you, but they're all obvious. These are all the works of the flesh. These are all things that we we can create inside of our lives. Now, this next sentence is one that we don't like. We don't like to read them in Scripture because it puts some some, uh, lines in the sand and it makes us really nervous. But Paul wants you to hear it. He says, I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I remember reading that thinking, sure, that's hard. Why would you say that, right? And it almost sounds like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Because early on, he says that, that you cannot be justified by works. So why would this time be saying that you can disqualify yourself by works? It doesn't seem like he's doing that. And, and, and I would tell you that Paul is not talking about disqualifying yourself. He would say, if your life looks like this, I wonder if you even believe in the first place. Like maybe you need to go back and consider the gospel message that you bought into or the gospel message that you believed um, I've been reading a quote from, from Charles Spurgeon this morning that I, that I think makes sense, but it's hard. And so just hear it and process it. And um, Spurgeon wrote this. So he was a pastor back in the 1800s. A lot of things out there that are quotable by him. And uh, he says this, The grace that does not change my life will not save my life. And so if your belief in Jesus doesn't call you to a deeper level of transformation, then you might need to consider your belief, or you might need to consider your understanding of what faith is all about. That there's awareness of yielding our lives, and now the life we live going forward is by faith. So there is by definition and by design a transformation that happens. But I need to go ahead and say this. We're going to find here when we get into chapter 6 in a moment, this opportunity to restore people who have fallen into some of these places. And so you're, you're going to see that, that he's, there's just a, maybe a level of, of understanding that he's talking about. So as we move on now, you've got the manufacturing of, the, of the, um, the works of the flesh. Now I move into chapter, or verse 22. He says, by contrast, the fruit of the Spirit. Now there's a difference. You have manufacturing the works, and then you have the fruit of the Spirit. And, and here's something you need to know, is that the fruit of the Spirit aren't something that you can manufacture. There's something that has to be grown. Now, I plant stuff every spring, and it all dies. So don't ask me to be a farmer because I'm not a really good one. But there's things that you need to know about the fruit of the Spirit in your life. They need to be nurtured. They need to be cared for. They, they grow in your life. It's not seem to be instantaneous that all of these things start showing up. They need to be developed and, and fostered. And, you, and they start to produce. And you become aware of them in who you are. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. So back to that point before, if you're producing this fruit in your life, you're not making it, you're producing it by living according to the Spirit, then when you do that, none of these things will be counter to the law because it is indicative of the law. Um, Verse 24, he said, "...and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." And so he's reminding us now that it is no longer 
our life that's living, but now it's Christ. We've, we've crucified, we've gotten rid of that old self, and now as we go forward, we're living according to the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. I love that scripture because it kind of gives us an insight. There's, a, there's an awareness of, of living by the Spirit, but then what does it mean to be led as a people by the Spirit? That sometimes you'll find yourself as, as multiple believers together and, and you just can't figure out how to get along. And what he says is you have to be guided by the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, competing against one another and envying one another. I've been a part of, of churches in my, in my way distant past where those words might describe what it meant to work on those teams. That it's just kind of, it's brutal sometimes. You wonder, we're all led by the Spirit. How can we be in an environment where we are competing, we're conceited, and, and we're envying one another? It shouldn't be that way. And so when you find yourself in that spot, you have to stop and wonder, are we being led by the Spirit? Are we not allowing the Spirit to lead? Where, where do we need to do to get out of the way so that God can bring about His desire? And so you can see how he brings all of that chapter together. Now, as we move into chapter 6, he's going to bring all of this kind of into focus. What does it mean now to, to take that understanding of, of flesh and spirit and move forward? And he starts off the beginning of chapter 6 with three big ideas. What it means to restore, what it means to bear one another's burdens, and then what it means to test your own work. And so listen to verse 1. He says, My friends or my brothers and sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression... You who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. So here you have this understanding of what do you do when a brother or sister or a believer finds themselves wrapped up in this work of the flesh. Well, Paul wants you to know that it's your responsibility to go and restore them gently. Now, I want you to hear that this is, the Scripture does not say this. The scripture doesn't say, my brothers or my sisters, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the spirit should utterly obliterate such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Right? I mean, isn't that what we do? Somebody gets himself into a bad way and before we ever go talk to them, we post something about them online or we, or we tell somebody else about it before we ever give them an opportunity to go talk to them. That's not what he says. Our responsibility when we see somebody in a bad way is to go to them and try and restore them, but... Be careful. You don't want to get yourself pulled into a scenario where you find yourself in that same nightmare situation. Now be careful that, you're, that you're, you're cautious about what you do. So bring someone else along with you or, or, or figure out a better way to handle that. So be careful that you don't fall into it. Verse 2, he says, Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I love that. So it's, it's restore someone and then the understanding of bear one another's burdens. I love the next verse that comes after it. He says, for if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. So he says, bear one another's burdens, and don't you dare think that you are too good to not bear someone else's burdens. If you think you are something, you are probably missing the point. That's what Paul's saying, that it's our, it's our responsibility to restore and to bear one another's burdens, to stand alongside people, to help um, bring them along and to help them carry the weights that they're carrying in life. And then verse four has quickly become one of my favorite verses. And I think you'll understand why. He says, all must test their own work. Then that work, rather than whose? Their neighbor's work will become a cause for pride. Could you imagine a word, world where people were more concerned about their own work than someone else's? 
I mean, how crazy do we get where we're judging everybody else and man, we're a hot mess express, like right in our own life. Uh, we are just a train wreck. And what Paul is saying is, hey, look at your own mess first before you ever go look at someone else. Test and approve your work. Think about what you're doing. There is something that you need to consider before you ever go try to fix someone else. And he says, and then when you do that, it will become a cause of pride. In other words, you'll be able to see that you have done the work to where when people look at you, they see Jesus in you, that you've gotten that mess out of the way. Verse six, those who are taught the word must share in all good things with the teacher. I think that's a, that's a funny verse, kind of a one-off about Paul probably making sure that he's okay as he continues on in these missionary journeys. Verse seven, all the way down through verse 10. Now, this is where we get to the very basic fundamentals of understanding how life should unfold. And lest we make this difficult, we're going to keep it as simple as humanly possible. I like simple. Do you guys like simple? I mean, th this, is, this is faith 101. Um, I promise. I promise you're going to get it. Here he goes. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. In other words, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. For you reap what you sow. That's a pretty simple truth, right? If you put an apple seed in the ground, what do you get? Well, I don't. If you put an apple seed in the ground, what do most people get? They're going to get an apple tree, right? Apple trees do not produce oranges as far as I know. I mean, maybe they can do some kind of weird hybrid something, but apple trees don't do that. So whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. This is very basic understanding for life. If you sow to your own flesh you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap a harvest, but we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So just to make sure you're tracking, let's do some God math. And this is when you guys respond back. I know that's tough, but you can do it. If you sow to the flesh, what will you get? Flesh. If you sow to the Spirit, what will you get? Flesh. Flesh. So you can do it. Spirit? Flesh? Spirit? Okay, got it? So if you choose to live according to the flesh, that's what you're going to get in your life. If you choose according to live to the Spirit, that's what you're going to get in your life. I mean, I could talk for another 20 minutes and make this very, very difficult. You guys good? Okay, good. You're like, yeah, move it on. Let's go. I mean, I, it's so crazy. We read these letters. We try to make the Bible difficult. It is literally that straightforward. You reap what you sow. God's not going to be mocked. That's going to happen. Verse 10, I want to read this, this final verse, and then we're going to move on and close it all out. He says, so then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of who? All. I think that's important to see, and especially for those of the family of faith. And so I think it's interesting that our call to this world is not just to the family of faith. There is also this call to reach out to everyone. That whenever there's an opportunity, that that is the call for us to continue to shed light, to continue to help, and to reach out to everybody that's out there. It's putting our faith in action. It's sowing into the Spirit and allowing God to use us in this crazy world. Um, verses 11 on down through the rest of the chapter. Would it surprise you if I told you that Paul was still upset and talking about circumcision? Because that's exactly what he's doing. And, and then he finally closes the whole thing out with a few greetings, but not many. And then the letter is, is complete. And um, it, it's, I, I, love, I love studying scripture. Um, I would love for there to be some huge, interesting nuggets inside of this letter that I can say, Did, you've never seen this before. But this letter is not that. This letter is the 
basic foundational truth of what it means to be a believer. And so whether you've been serving God for a long time or whether you have no idea what I'm talking about, these are the basics of our faith. And so I just, just to try and wrap the whole series up today, just for you to put in your brain this concept of what this letter to the Galatians is all about, I'm going to run by them quickly, and then we're going to prepare our hearts to receive communion. And so just, just for understanding's sake, Paul starts these churches, and then something goes south, and he writes and sends what? A letter. He sends him a letter because that was easier than him going to visit all these places. And so he writes a letter, he sends it, they're going to copy it, and they're going to share it around. The first thing that Paul wanted you to know in this letter is that, um, the first thing he wants you to know is, is that the only way to be justified or the only way to be righteous before God, or if I was to further simplify it, the only way for salvation or to be saved is by Christ alone, faith in Jesus you may say, Scott, what does faith in Jesus mean? There, there's really two understandings of what it means to believe in Jesus. You can have an intellectual assent, and historically, there's no denying the fact that someone named Jesus lived during this time. Gobs of books have been written about him. And so historically, from an intellectual standpoint, you can believe that there was a Jesus. That's not the belief we're talking about. We're talking about the understanding that is revealed in Jesus, that there is a broken world, and a God that, that, that started this world, the world just descended into chaos and God looked at the world and God loved the world and it wasn't enough for God just to watch the world go away. He moved. He was moved by his very nature, which is love, and he revealed himself to this world in the gift of his son. And what did this world do to his son? We took him, we got to learn a little bit from him, but then we killed him. We put him on a cross, killed him dead, put him in a grave, but because he was not sinful and did not sin, that grave could not hold him because he was, did not have the penalty of death, and so he rose from the dead. And so what God did is he acted upon our, our behalf, and he gave us a substitute. Now, we can take our sinful lives, give them to God, and we can receive Christ's righteousness. That's what he's talking about, by faith alone. You can't be deemed righteous by doing all the good works that you could ever possibly do only by believing in Jesus. That's the first big fundamental truth that we are taught inside of this first part of Scripture. The second thing is this. Should you believe you are making a decision to say goodbye to your old self and hello to Jesus in your life, and you live now by faith? And so as you live by faith, you are living a life of transformation where you are getting the old self out and you are revealing this new life. And so it is a life of continual transformation as you continue to move forward because you are now a child of God. You're not subject to the law anymore. The things that you generate produced by the Spirit are in keeping with the law because that's who you are. You are a child of God. And then finally, and here's the hardest part of all of it, you reap what you sow. And so you can believe in Jesus. You can allow yourself to start to move forward in transformation. And then you have a choice. Do you want to live according to what the flesh has to offer, or are you going to live according to the Spirit? And you're going to reap whichever one of those two things you sow. Period. That's it. That's the letter of, that, that he wrote to the Galatians. Keep it in line with that. If I was to further simplify it, and this may be dangerous because I think and maybe it's an oversimplification, but if for me, to put it in terms of what we think about, is it was to, to, to become a believer in Jesus is to love God, to put our faith in action is to love our neighbor. And then in our understanding, when you love your neighbor, what are you doing? You're connecting them to Jesus. 
right? I mean, so when I look at this whole thing in Paul's message, if you were to further simplify it, that's kind of how this message unfolds. So I want to ask you a question with all of that in context in front of us. If Paul was alive today, do you think he would send a letter to the church in the United States? How many letters do you think he would send to us? And how long would they be? And I promise he wouldn't be talking about circumcision anymore. He'd be talking about all sorts of other things. He'd be so frustrated of all these different things that he was talking about, right? And, and that letter would look very simple. I mean, not very simple. It would look a whole lot like this, talking about our faith and what it means. I mean, I cannot tell you how many people show up in my office and their lives have just imploded, usually by decisions that they've made themselves. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know, we got to go back. And you, you got to, whatever, I'll tell you what you, you should not do. Right? And we, and we can kind of laugh about that, but some of you are here today and you're like, ah, this is why we love the fact that God's grace is sufficient and God loves you and he continues to draw us in relationship. Now, if I'm going to be honest, there are some of you who your life looks really rough, not because of decisions that you've made, but because of decisions that other people have made around you. Here's what I know. If you sow to the Spirit and you find yourself in that situation, then God gives you the ability to respond in a different way. That's why it's important to live according to the Spirit. So when you find yourself in those situations, you're going to respond appropriately. And so what I believe is the letter that he would write to us would do the same thing. Church, you've got to learn to love God. You've got to learn to love your neighbor. And if we were looking at our particular mission, and I think this is the mission that's talked about inside Scripture is we've got to connect people to Jesus. That's the act of going back out and doing it. We love God, we love our neighbor, and we connect people to Jesus. Now, um, just as a side note, can we all agree the world is crazy right now? It's, it, is, it, is so, it is so tough to be a preacher sometimes. I'm not, I'm not looking for sympathy. If I say Israel, I've got people that are struggling with Palestine will get mad at me. If I say Palestine, I got people at Israel. If I say electric vehicle, I got people who like gas. They're going to get excited about gas. If I say taxes, we're going to say take it from the rich. Whatever, right? Like however it falls out. But here's, here's what I want you to know. Did you know that in this building, there are Republicans and Democrats? And independents. They're crazy. They're here. But they're, you're all here. Did you know that? And, and here's the crazier truth. They believe in Jesus. <gasps> what? Do you know that 2024 can be an absolutely insane, difficult, and horrendous year as we move into an election year? And what I want to commit to you is that in this church, we're going to do three things. We're going to love God, we're going to love our neighbor, and we're going to connect people to Jesus. This is going to be a safe place, regardless of what you believe, where you can come in here and you can love God, you can love your neighbor, and you can connect people to Jesus. You guys okay with that? Because that is the basic underlying fundamental principles of what God has called us to do. And so my hope as a church is that we can learn to live into that. And, and I came up with a way that I think you can practice. Are you ready for this? So coming up in a couple weeks, Thanksgiving. And guess who's going to show up at Thanksgiving? Not the preacher. Crazy Aunt Sally. I might be your crazy Aunt Sally, but crazy Aunt Sally is going to show up. And when crazy Aunt Sally shows up, guess what you're going to do? You're going to love God, love your neighbor, and you're going to don't send her to Jesus, just connect her to Jesus, right? You're going to love crazy Aunt Sally. And that'll be a good refresher and practice preparing yourself for what next year is going to be all about. Because here's my hope. In the middle of all of that chaos, I want people to discover a church and a people that really are going to point them to Jesus. 
Because I love this. I love the United States of America. I do. But you know what? We're called to something that's bigger than that. We're called to the kingdom of heaven, called to the kingdom of God, and we need to represent Christ. And so at the very core of who we are, that's where we're going to start. Everybody good with that? All right. I'd like to invite the communion stewards to come forward. And um, I, I love the fact that today we have the opportunity to receive communion. It's, it's perfect, and it ties right into line with, with what Paul was teaching throughout the entire letter to the Galatian church, especially when he gets to this understanding of law, because for so many of us, when we, when we think of our, our Christian law, if you will, we've turned communion and baptism and, and all of these, these um, rights, uh, understandings, into something that sometimes goes beyond what it's meant to do. And please hear me say this. The act of t- taking communion does not save you. It does not justify you. But the understanding of the one in whom this table represents will. When we gather to receive communion, we are reminded that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that son's life was broken. His blood was shed for us. And so when you come forward to receive communion, challenge your heart and challenge your life to understand the intent behind this table. This is not just something we do. This is a part of our lives. And when we receive communion, and we receive strength from that broken body and that shed blood, and we go out of these doors, we have the ability to take this very same message to the world, that there was a God that loved us, and he made a way for us to be fully in communion with him. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, and then he broke it. He turned and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you eat, do so in remembrance of me. And then in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, do so in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we thank you that that you've made a way for us to be reconnected back to your heart. And it's, it's by the means of believing in your son, Jesus. And so as we gather in this space around this table, Lord, never let us lose sight of, of what this table represents. It's not just bread and it's not just juice. It reminds us of the gift of Jesus. And I pray that today this gift would nourish us, us, that it would give us strength and it would give us hope. There are people here today that are praying for their marriages. They're praying for their children. They're praying for healing. All aspects of of heart and mind are represented here. And Lord, I just pray that you would provide us freedom that can only be found through faith in your son, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Sometimes we can make faith so difficult But I pray that today, every single person here would open up our hearts and choose to believe in your son, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, um, some of the the things I need to tell you, in order to receive communion with us, you do not have to be a member of Community Life Church. You're here. You're part of the family. You're welcome to join us. Um, we receive communion by intinction. So as you come forward, if you'll hold your hands out, we'll place a piece of bread in your hands. You can then take that bread, dip it in the cup, and receive communion that way. If you're nervous about germs, at each station we have individually wrapped um, communion elements. You can take one of those with you. If you have a family member at home that, that wasn't able to make it with you, grab a couple extra, take it with you, and, and bring communion to them. Um, on the stage, we have baskets. Whenever we receive communion, we take up a communion offering and we use this resource to help with electric bills and water bills and, and um, really just to make sure that people are okay through this time and this season. And you guys are so incredible in, in helping out with that. 
I've got the gluten-free alternative down front. So if you have special dietary needs, uh, either myself or Pastor Addy would love to be able to serve you. Okay, one, two, three, four. All right, we have um, less people than, stay, than we have you. So um, we're going to work it out. As you find a line, go ahead and kind of work into it. So I encourage the first few rows to go ahead and stand. Exit your road to your right and make your way to a station as, as you're able. There's nothing worth more than we'll ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen. Sweetest of love, when my heart becomes free, and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood. you guys to stand and sing that chorus with me one more time.
So I was thinking today that maybe if we start now, the beginning of November, and we start praying for crazy Aunt Sally, everything's going to go smooth, right? <laughs> Thank you guys for allowing us to do series like this. It's a different way to teach, but I hope that when you walk out of these doors, you have an understanding of a letter, a piece of the Bible, where if somebody engages you in conversation, you got it from front to back, and you have every single piece of it helping you to understand um, your faith. And I, I love teaching this way, and I hope you guys love learning that way as well. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we leave this place, I pray that you would go before us. God, just blaze a trail. Allow us to put our faith in action, um, loving one another, loving brothers and sisters. And Lord, even when you give us the opportunity to love all um, and reaching out, sharing your love with this crazy, broken world. And I just ask that as a church, uh, not for the glory of this church, but for your glory, that you position us in such a way that when this world gets to the place where it is absolutely at its most broken point, that people will experience peace and they will come flocking because they will find that true connection through the work that we've been doing. And so I pray that you allow us just that ability to be able to do that so people can experience Christ. We love you. We trust you. And it's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. Thank you. Everything's not fine, and I'm not okay, but it's nice to know.